0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time for David's Pick uh, here on America's Web Radio. And I uh, picked someone very interesting. And he's he's got more uh, credentials and changes than anybody I've ever seen in my life. But uh, we'll go into that as we get into the show in a minute. But uh, first off, one of his credentials is that he's a chaplain, and I ask our guest, Captain Ray Fairman, to uh, say a little prayer because of our the situation that we all find ourselves in today. It's, uh, it's a remarkable situation, and uh, I think we need all the help we can get. So if you don't mind, Ray, welcome to America's Web Radio, and I'll put you right to work. All
0: right, I'd be happy to do that almighty god and heavenly father we just thank you for the many blessings that you've given us throughout our lives i thank you personally for the many times that i've had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death in one form or another and lord you've never failed to be there with us and while the world seems to be panicking and losing control all around us i just thank you for the fact that lord you have never left the throne you are still in control You will guide us and take us through this situation that we are facing as not only a nation, but as an entire world. And, Lord, uh, just you're not a God of fear, and you don't instill us with a spirit of fear. So I just pray that you will give peace and comfort to those people who are out there, mainly those who don't know you and know the power that you have, Lord, and know that you will carry us through this. For you walk before us, you walk beside us, and you walk behind us and stand behind us, Lord. And I thank you for doing this with so many of my brothers and sisters who are first responders and military and who are out there helping, and for the health care workers that are out there on the front lines, Lord. Give them the endurance, the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to handle the situation and to come out the other end stronger and more compassionate for all of us in Christ's name. Amen. Ray,
1: thank you. Um, you know, this is... Uh, I was I can't remember who I was talking to yesterday or the day before I was talking to uh, someone and uh I got laughed at by my family back then when I had a family but uh anyway uh for some reason, I had it in my mind that this would all be happening five or six or ten years ago and uh you know i I think I was like many people this is totally completely 100 percent caught me and everybody else totally off guard uh and i think by not knowing uh there's a there's the old saying: education uh uh, relieves the fear and uh we're not educated we didn't know how to handle this and uh i think that's still what we're going through is we, we don't know how to handle this or what to do oops excuse me um, we're, uh, dead come. I don't know why that's doing it. Anyway, we, uh, we are, we're finding ourselves in a situation that, uh, uh, <laughs> that, uh is like stepping off on the moon. We don't know what we're going to, how deep we're going to sink or anything else. But, uh, like you said, with, uh, God's help, we'll all make, make it and make the make it through this and uh, hopefully we'll come out better people on the other side so with that being said thank you for joining us today and um, Ray is a member of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and you want to uh, quickly explain that Ray how you were nominated and and, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame
0: well I'm a member of the uh, Athens Area uh, Military Officers uh, Association, I'm the chaplain for that uh, group as well. And it came as a surprise to me that uh, they know that I'm very active in the community, the, the members of our chapter, and uh, I didn't even know that the Hall of Fame existed. Uh, it's you know, I go through life and I, I guess we're an achievement-oriented society, a lot of us are, in my early days I guess I probably was too, because I was taught by family and those around me that that the things you accomplish are the most important things and you have to go for the gold. I learned throughout my career, both in military and law enforcement, that that's not really the truth. It took a little while for me to wise up, but we're not measured by how much we accomplish, but by how much we accomplish for others. So it just seemed second nature to me in the later years of my life. I began to work more and more for other people and one day i walked into our one of our meetings and uh, the officers told me that uh, i worked with that we've submitted your name to the uh georgia military veterans hall of fame and uh, we don't know if it's going to go through or not and i guess your nomination goes in and it can last for three years and in the first year i was uh They told me (laughs) I was kind of beat out because they gave a guy by the name of Charlie Beckwith, who's kind of the father of the Green Berets in Special Operations, uh, a posthumous nomination, and he went in. And I just went on with my normal life, and the next thing I know I get a phone call one day and somebody's telling me that I've been nominated and in 2019 inducted into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And there are three ways you can go in, one for achievement, one for valor, and one for service. And I believe mine was for the uh, service that I'd done for my community and fellow man during my military career, during my law enforcement career, and after. Uh, so it's an unexpected honor, and uh, I'm very thankful But there are over 600,000 veterans in the state of Georgia, and I'm sure that there are many of them equally or more qualified than I am to have accepted that honor. And when I went in, I, I said I will accept this on behalf of all of those people, ever signed their name on an enlistment contract and volunteered to step forth and defend their country and the rights and liberties that we have
1: well i i think today that's even more important and that uh and and i think it's going my personal opinion is that it's going to grow uh, and that is that uh we're seeing the reservists the uh ARs Army Reserve and National Guard, and uh, there is a difference. And but we're seeing them more and more, and more states calling up their National Guard and are their AR to do uh, duties, which is is totally uh, well away from what the guard or our AR is initially meant to do, but they, you know, I think it proves that that our military is there 24-7 under any circumstance, and we have sure thrown at a circumstance that nobody uh, ever anticipated or or even thought about that we'd have to call up the military for help, and yet, you know, this goes back to almost the Revolutionary War, is that there is a certain fiber, there's a certain DNA, there's a certain bloodstream that's uh, O.D. Green, maybe, but uh, there's a certain makeup of a person that when they're called to defend their country, and, and when as I read, you know, and what I raise my hand for, defend your country against all foreign and domestic, it doesn't identify what defend means what are we defending is it a all of a sudden everybody thinks it's got to be another person or another country or something like that but what we're finding today is is an invisible enemy and uh, as president trump has identified it as the invisible enemy and it, it is very much that way and we uh i, I must add I, I have to because he's he's become a very, very close friend and you know you know the name uh Ray Richard Dix, General Richard Dix. And um he does the show for us here at America's Web Radio or did, but he will be back. He will be back. I'm just kidding him. I give him a little grief uh frequently, but he will be back doing the show Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm because I've been amazed at how many people, and that's the reason he does the show, have forgotten about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and it was only yesterday, comparatively speaking. But anyway, um, General Dix, because of his qualifications, and uh, I don't know how many people know this, I know you do, but once a general, always a general. You may retire, but you're always subject to being called up. And really, uh, a little known fact is that anybody with a super specialty in the military is subject to being called back up. And, uh, General Dix was called up because of his expertise with logistics that he, uh, performed and showed as he, uh, led the troops, led the tanks and armament into Iraq and, uh, he was. He is a logistics expert, and he's been called up to, uh, for lack of better words, uh, play chess with uh, with the ventilators and uh, the different supplies that are scattered out all over the country to get them where the hot spot is, and as expeditiously as possible. And that's uh, that's his forte, and that's why the military called him up, and uh, our government ask for his service again so our thoughts and prayers are are with richard and uh we look for him to coming back i don't know about you ray but how many generals do you know or did you work with that would start a radio show by singing a jody
0: oh i can i can think of about uh maybe three of them that would have uh would have been willing to do that uh one of them uh uh, assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps back in the nineteen uh, early 1970s, General Raymond Davis, who was also a member of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, spent a lot of his time after he retired from that position as a Sunday school teacher in Conyers. Hmm. And uh, he passed away. He's one of the reasons that I eventually in my career went from enlisted to uh, the officer ranks and became a chief war officer. Uh, he suggested it when I was on his uh, security staff in Arkansas back in the 1970s. And then I worked for a general in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, who went on to take over Defense Human Service at one time. That was General John Lighty, an Army general. And then I think uh, one of our commandants, uh, General Chuck Krulak, Charles Krulak. His father was also a. a General. He was a lieutenant general and uh, his son uh, made commandant of the Marine Corps. He was another one who was very strong on the uh, the understanding of what it meant to be a a warrior and uh, to serve. And he has a, a statement which is one of my favorite ones in uh, Latin. "It mumo da quod non habet. And it means you cannot give what you do not have. If you don't have that internal desire to lead and to serve and to take care of others, then you really are a commander and not a leader. And there's a big difference. One has subordinates and the other has followers. And uh, those are the kind of people that would do what you're talking about, uh, the real high-ranking ones that that never forgotten where they came from and who really did the job.
1: Well, you know, uh, the last show that uh, General Dix and I did together uh, was a couple of weeks ago, right, as the... um, case okay, so of the uh, commander of the uh, Theodore Roosevelt was catching all sorts of kinds of grief for writing a letter and asking for help when in turn he turned out to be right and uh, the folks that he had contacted for help turned out to be wrong and General Dix and I both or General Dix <laughs> carries a whole lot more weight than i do i can assure you that but uh we both agreed on the fact that you know a a person in that position uh the captain of a ship the first thing he's responsible for is his men and uh yes certainly he's out there on an aircraft carrier to defend the country to defend to uh you know when called to duty he has to react but he did react, and he saw the danger of what was happening on his ship, and he did what.
0: He on a calm scale of uh, one to five, you're down to about a uh, 0.75. I'm having a real hard time getting. I don't know if you can hear me on your end, but this end is getting really weak.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't. Are you just on? You're on uh, your cell phone.
0: I'm on my cell phone, and uh, but it's got a full charge, and I'm plugged in with it. Uh, but there's a i'm showing there's a big storm out there is that over you affecting it or anything
1: i could be it it as long as i can hear you just fine and you're coming into the board fine and uh, uh, my IT monitors this and he's not showing that we're having a problem but uh, you know i i can't it could be on your end that the storm is affecting you and your phone in some way or the other. I don't know. It's uh, I, uh, We just finished a, a long show and uh, had no problems with it, so um, I don't know. I, I <laughs> It's hard to say when I can control my end of it, but I can't control, you know, what's happening on your end. And uh, um, Do you have a landline at, at home by chance?
0: No, I don't have a, a landline. We. This is my normal one, and I'm looking at uh, several bars on my uh, my cell phone. So the strength is the signal. I've got a repeater right beside me, too.
1: I uh, I'm sorry, I can't can't answer it. Um, your,
0: your first call before we did the hookup was uh, very strong.
1: Yeah, well, that was on my landline. That was before I brought it into the board. But uh, bringing it uh-huh. into the board, it's still going through. Uh, you know, we'll just have to hopefully make do and, uh, I'll get Brett to come back in and, uh, see if, uh, how he's looking at it on his end. But anyway, uh, can you make out what I'm saying?
0: Now I can. you a little, little bit better.
1: Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll keep going with it like this and, uh, see if we can't make it through the, uh, through the hour. Um, okay. And you know, one of the things that I wanted to do after I talked to you last evening was uh, the number of positions that you've held and the services that you've uh, worked in. I, I, you know, you you uh, to say that you bounced around a little bit would be an understatement in different reserve units and. Uh, and then you were, you were part of Desert Shield and Desert Storm. How do you feel about what I'd said earlier about that, the reason that we do the show, that people, do you find that people seem to have forgotten it?
0: I think that America has forgotten a lot of history. For example, the, uh, the COVID crisis we're going through right now, they seem to have forgotten about the Spanish flu, yellow fever, uh, smallpox, uh, H1N1, bird flu, Everything that we've had, there's been a lot of crisis like this, but sometimes we don't seem to learn from our history, and therefore we begin to repeat it. And I think generationally, even the, the people going into service today aren't the same kind of people that went in the service when you and I went in and when our parents went in with the same drive. And a lot of people expect things to be done for them, and then they turn around at the last minute, and you know you're never going to please everybody, no matter what you do. So I listen to the media today, and the media is completely different than it was in World War II. It's more like it was during the Vietnam crisis, and it <laughs> makes things seem sometimes worse. And pandemic, that's uh, almost the wrong term. I sometimes think they ought to be calling it a panic pandemic
1: <laughs> That's, uh, you know, I agree. And uh, many, many, I've uh, mentioned this several times, but many years ago when I was on When I first started out in radio, if I had done what they are doing today, I'd have been fired in less than a second. It would have been a, I mean, it would have been quickly. But we don't have news today. We have opinions today, and we don't have newsmen. We have opinion men that uh, everything is my opinion. This, this and you know, no matter what they're saying, it's really not as much news as it is opinion. And we wouldn't have gotten away with that. We were during the Kennedy assassination. I worked for a uh, radio station, KLBK, in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, there was no book. Just like there's no real book on pandemics. What do you do? And uh, there was no real book that we could pull off the shelf on what do you do when a president's assassinated. But we stood there and pulled AP, Associated Press, and uh, United Press International, a teletype. And that was the facts as they knew them coming in. And it wasn't somebody's opinion being sent to us. It was facts as best we knew. And that's what we delivered to our audience. And today it's... uh, some producer's opinion that some good-looking guy, a good-looking lady, says, you know, will read or will say as as facts, and it's not necessarily facts. So um, there's a real problem, and and we found, I don't know if you're old enough to remember or not, Ray, but the uh, the real uh, ability of the news and particularly tv was highlighted by walter cronkite and then all of a sudden he became mr everything on quote unquote the evening news and he started it by by the tears he shed for um kennedy which you know i i, I don't blame him for that that was his emotions coming out and that's you know I've never blamed him for it but it all started there and then he went a step further and this is where we have what you said about today as a uh, panic and that's the fact that he started counting body bags every night and uh, the influence that had on people on that were serving in Vietnam had family members die in Vietnam, and he he influenced a lot of opinions on Vietnam, un, unrightly so. And um, yet he got credit for, you know, knowing what he was talking about, when in many, many cases he didn't. And uh, I think it was one of the worst jobs of network news ever, and that was, well, today we had... 43 body bags. And, you know... Mm-hmm.
0: that I do. Uh, that, was, that was my war, and the first newscaster I remember ever was John Cameron Swayze. Right. yeah. And NEWS stood for North, East, West, and South. And that was all the facts coming in from those directions. Today, NEWS stands for nothing except wild speculation.
1: Yeah, that's very good. I hadn't heard that, but that's... I agree. And that's... Uh, John Cameron Swayze, uh, the Timex master. That's right. You can't stop it from ticking. But, yeah. uh, you know, he, he that was news, and, and the rest of what we got out of Vietnam was, like you said, either speculation or hype to get more people to watch, or... To try to see what kind of influence they could have, and they had a lot of influence. And I guess that was really the first uh, time media was used in a real war situation. And uh, you know, the there was a reason for why they wanted to influence people, and we've got the same situation today. And uh, at least uh you coming back and i and I always state, and I mentioned this to you yesterday. yes, I joined during the Vietnam era. You and I both raised our hands and uh took the same oath, but I did not serve in Vietnam, and I don't want anybody I don't want to mislead anybody or ever that to think that I served in Vietnam because my heroes, my friends, you, and many others. That served in Vietnam, you know. That's it was a it was a, a terrible, brutal war. That uh, we're just really finding out some of the things about it. That, uh, uh, like, um, uh, Bob Babcock over in uh, Athens just uh, published his book called "I'm Ready to Talk," and uh, it's the stories of of folks that came back from Vietnam and I knew a lot of them and and obviously when I was in AIT or in BASIC and AIT uh, my sergeants were sergeants that had served in Vietnam and uh, they came back and were telling the stories that uh, people wouldn't believe and yet they were true and it was fact and it was enough fact that uh, it could make you sick. And then uh, we found our real heroes, or not not just our heroes, but another brand of hero. And I always mention them on almost every show that I do, and that's uh, the Dustoff Pilots. Those guys were absolutely remarkable. And we have all the triage nurses. We've had Donna Rowe on. I'm sure you know Donna. Yeah. And um, we've had her on, and... Uh, the people that served in-country as well as the people that served in-country but not necessarily on the front are the back lines, but uh, they're all heroes. And I think one of the best things that uh, President Trump has done, and he did it on December the 10th, and that was to uh, sign the uh, Blue Water Bill. And um, that gave Navy folks that were they weren't in country they were sitting on the banks of the country and sprayed by Agent Orange and were suffering exactly the same traumas and same effects that uh, the boots on the ground in country were suffering from and uh, they had been looked over for years and years well you weren't in country you didn't have boots on the ground. No, they had a boat docked on uh, the shore and got sprayed by Agent Orange and they were dying of cancer and had cancer and stomach and diabetes and everything else that Agent Orange will cause and uh, I was very happy that uh, that Trump signed the bill that uh, takes care of them and gives them all the VA rights uh, and medical rights that anybody else has that uh, served in Vietnam
0: I graduated high school in 1963 in California and joined immediately at 17 years old. And some of my friends that joined didn't go to Vietnam, but that didn't stop them from being heroes in my eyes and warriors as well. Some went to Korea. Some went to Germany to serve over in Germany. But every one of them put their name on a dotted line that said, I am giving you a blank check. And it could be... Cash for anything up to and including my life. Or it could be handed back to me at the end of three years, five years, or 20 years. It makes no difference. Every one of those people, where they served and when they served, we've got a history of people stepping up to serve. About 1% of America really jumps up and says, I will serve this country no matter what. 1% of America says, I'm going to take advantage of this country and everybody in it no matter what and the other 98% are out there happy that those two exist and kind of offset each other
1: <laughs> well I tell you what it's like uh, I and I will throw you into this too Ray uh, I don't think I've had a guest on that uh, at any uh, given time uh, wouldn't if called no matter how old we are if it, if we were called up to do something um, we'd do it and this was just like richard uh i was kidding him about how many times did they have to ask you to uh to give up right now and go back in and do what they wanted you to do and you know he laughed and he said no once obviously uh, that's that's all they had to ask was once and um there he went and uh you know, the other thing is, and and fortunately, uh, I don't know if I should be saying this or not, but uh, the fortunate thing is that uh, he's getting to do what he's doing basically on a computer from home, so it's not like he's been reassigned or sent overseas or something like that, but it's still, and I don't care if he is at home, it's still... Uh, a drain on his family that he's, you know, he's doing X amount of whatever from his home, but he does—he's doing it gladly because he was needed, and uh, you know,
0: he didn't—he well, didn't. It s- brings up a, you know, a, a thought from my mind about how humorous sometimes things are, and at the same time they're not. But I put my first ten years in on active duty during the Vietnam era, sixty-three to seventy-three, and then I went reserve and became a full-time police officer. And when the Desert Shield and Desert Storm came up, I was working in uh, Florida as a corporal on a sheriff's department, and I was pulling my two weeks with uh, the U.S. Central Command up in Tampa uh, when Saddam decided he was going to go and do what he did. And uh, the whole active duty, I was assigned as an IMA individual, Individual Mobilization Augmentee, to the actual active duty unit at CENTCOM headquarters. And they were practicing for an exercise. We just got General Schwarzkopf as our uh, sink, and they were up there practicing uh, some new uh, concepts of operations up in uh, northern Florida. And all of a sudden, I was talking with my active duty boss who was up there on the exercise from the headquarters building and asking a few questions. And we had a few problems on some message traffic. and. Lo and behold, he called me back in about five minutes and said, we're quitting, we're coming home, that's real. And boom, I spent the next six weeks on extended active uh, duty for training. And on a Thursday, they came back and said, okay, you can go home. I went back to my sheriff's department on uh, Thursday night, and on Friday morning, I walked into work. And my boss started yelling at me about volunteering. And I said, hey, look, that's what Reserves do, especially Marines. We're ready to go call, be called on for anything. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a part of that unit. He said, I'm not talking about the six weeks you just spent there. I'm talking about you leaving again. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and he handed me a seven-foot teletype that had come in on our teletype machine from the Reserve Support Headquarters for the Marines in Oakland Park, Kansas. And it said, you have volunteered for additional active duty, and you were to report back to Central uh, Command Headquarters on Sunday morning. You're leaving for uh, Riyadh. And I went, wait a minute. And I called them, and I said, how come this volunteers, to, I don't mind volunteering, but I'd like to know what this is all about. And they said, you see the seven names on the list? Yours just happened to be alphabetically first. These are the first seven Marines that we've activated out of the reserves involuntarily since the Korean War. So we don't know how to get the hard code out of the orders machine, the computer out here. We're working on it, but you seven guys are involuntarily mobilized right now, go. I hadn't even unpacked my go bag. I put it back in the car, and the next morning I was back on my way to Tampa, and Sunday night I was on my way to Riyadh. And I thought, well, that's what I signed up for. And the other other six people stayed at uh, Tampa, and I was the only one to go forward, and I said, that's exactly what I expected, and that's what I wanted.
1: <laughs> and how did your family react?
0: I'm very lucky. I married a uh, woman who, uh, 50 years ago, decided after I, 18 years of our marriage, and my son's going to West Point at that time, she decided she's going to go and join the uh, Army Reserve as a nurse. She was a nurse for all of her life, and she went in as an Army nurse in the Reserves, And she served during Desert Shield and Desert Storm in the stateside uh, VA hospitals and with a Combat Support Hospital. My daughter eventually went in the military too, so my wife reacted the way that she, uh, we say a good Marine Corps wife would. She has always been there, she's always supported me. Uh, She supported my law enforcement career, additional deployments, all the assignments I've had the different agencies, moved to different states and with that strength behind me and with by that time I'd also learned that you don't have to ask God to go with you he goes with you wherever you go and he's there and you just gotta remember he's there and uh, it hasn't been a, a smooth paved four lane highway for us the whole time but we've never hit a pothole we couldn't overcome
1: a beautiful way to say it a beautiful way to say it I, I I've never heard that we never heard we never had a pothole we couldn't overcome that's that's, uh, Ray, that's super. And th- this is why we do the show. And, and this is basically, the show's called David's Pick, but it's sponsored by the Georgia Veterans Military Hall of Fame, and, uh, or Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And, um, Rick White, who is the director of the Hall of Fame, uh, as again, uh, become a, a close friend, and I I call on uh, Rick many times. That uh, you know, I we're we're starting a a new show this uh, coming Friday, tomorrow, I guess. Uh, in fact, that uh, is going to be about. It's totally different from any other sports show that's ever been on that I know of. Most times, uh, we've had people come on or they've called about doing a show, and it's well, I was. Uh, Little league pitcher, and I know everything about pitching, and and everything about baseball or football or whatever it might be. But this is uh, this is a young man that has his degree from the University of Michigan. That is his degrees in sports management, and so we're going to be taking a look, or he's going to be letting us take a look at what's going on behind the scenes in professional football, baseball, everything, with regard to the pandemic and regarding who's paying these extravagant salaries while nobody's playing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a business-type sports show, and uh, we'll be unveiling some things and information that uh, really no other uh, radio station that I know of does. And it's going to be uh, very interesting. We're going to do the show tomorrow and then uh, replay it on Saturday morning. So uh, everybody will have two shots at listening to it quickly. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. And I think that, like I said earlier, the reserves, the military, and what's going on with this pandemic is showing, again, like World War II, like Vietnam, like Desert Storm and Desert Shield, showing the backbone of our country. And by the way, I I personally, I own America's Web Radio, so I can editorialize a little bit if I want to, and I will. And I want to applaud and commend our president, who is, you know, our... commander-in-chief for making a decision yesterday and giving our navy and our air force and our naval air force the right that if any warship attacks or harasses any of our navy that our navy has the right to blow them away and uh, we can't let a miniature country intimidate us and uh, we're the strongest in the world and everybody in the world should know it and uh, we can't put up with stuff like that we can't put up with China lying about the pandemic and I don't think we will so anyway I've editorialized I got up on my soapbox would you like to uh, join me or would you like your own soapbox Ray
0: well you mentioned earlier that uh, I had a checkered so to speak, career in one aspect, and that was uh, my service during my first 10 years in the, uh, the Marine Corps was all active duty enlisted. Uh, I wanted to be a pilot, and when I joined, and I thought that would be the greatest thing going, then I got down to Pensacola, and I had no college, so I took uh, CLEP examinations in order to get the equivalent to a two-year degree. So here's this 17-year-old kid going from boot camp to Pensacola to fly with a pocket two-year degree, so to speak, and they find out i got bad eyesight, and I can't land on an aircraft carrier, so I can't be a Marine pilot, and uh, I say, what am I going to do? So they send me to avionics school, I say, I'll go airborne radio operator, and they say, nope, you can't take code fast enough. (laughs) I end up an avionics technician working with flight simulators, and I go to every school that the pilots and the rios from uh, F-4s go to. And I start becoming a tactics instructor and a flight instructor on flight simulators for the guys, uh, for the pilots and Rios that are going into Vietnam in F-4s. And I spend a lot of time at uh, El Toro, which is a base that doesn't exist anymore in California Mm -hmm. with the 3rd Marine Air Wing, working on that, plus doing some flight time back and forth to the little Southeast Asian country and uh, going in and out but not staying there come back and I go to an advanced avionics course and this time I don't go back into the training aspect of it. I go to actual operational squadrons and I go to uh, Cherry Point, North Carolina and uh, while I'm there Tet 68 happens and about that time I'm trying to go back to Vietnam and volunteering. I want to go and stay there. They send me to OCS and I spend three months in OCS and all of a sudden I'm saying nope, I'm a buck sergeant. i got to go where the work is and I volunteer to drop out of ocs and go to uh vietnam and while i'm in vietnam i find myself doing infantry jobs ground operations and air operations flying in helicopters c-130s uh working with a phantom squadron uh, one of the best phantom squadrons in the marine corps at that time uh flying more tonnage and more sorties than anybody else Uh, pick up staff sergeant come back and the Marine Corps, and its wise wisdom, says, nope, you're going to be a cop. And they changed me and make me an MP
1: <laughs>
0: as a staff sergeant. I've never never served a day in patrol in all my life. I've never stood a gate or anything else. And now I'm a supervisor at Camp Pendleton. Then they start sending me to school, and I go to Northwestern Traffic Institute up in uh, Evansville, Illinois. I get six cross-country transfers in two years. I find myself as a chief instructor and a CID agent in Arkansas working as a recruiter and an instructor at an infantry unit that's converting into MPs. And then I say, whoa, big deep breath. I'm married now. I got one child. I said, I'm going into reserves. I go into reserves, and the only unit that's anywhere near me is an Army Reserve unit. I go Army Reserve. Then Army National Guard, one engineer outfit, one is an infantry outfit. Then I go to a military police outfit, and I'm with them for three or four more years. Then I go to, I'm transferring my civilian police job, and I'm uh, the sheriff of Frederick, Maryland, uh, Frederick County, Maryland, in uh, 1977, I believe that was. And I go to the Air Force Reserve for two years. Uh, I go from an E-7 down to an E-5. And then next drill, I go in, and they say, nope, you got too much experience and all that, you're going to be an e- uh, E-6. So I go up there. A year later, I'm going, I can't take this. I go back to the Marine Corps Reserve, and I get picked up in my old aviation squadron and find myself working for a gunnery sergeant who was a Lance Corporal that worked for me in Vietnam years before. <laughs> About that time, the CO puts me in for the warrant officer program. I'm selected for warrant officer, and... A year and a half after I'm a warrant officer, they have me at an infantry outfit as an infantry platoon commander up in Pittsburgh. And a year later, they're turning that outfit into a military police unit. And I'm a CID officer all of a sudden. Infantry officer, avionics officer, CID officer. Then the Marine Corps turns me into an intelligence officer and assigns me to U.S. Central Command. And in my reserve years back in the Marine Corps, I spent another 24 as a warrant officer retire 24 years later after that so i got a total of 42 bingo i've held more mos's than there are in the manual i,
1: think. <laughs> I believe it i believe it and uh cid we have um we have a uh, uh, gentleman uh, sandy bostick does that does our agent in charge show and he was um a uh homeland security special agent and he worked very closely in. The, and this was down in El Paso uh, very closely with uh, CID and that's the detective branch and there used to be a television show about it uh, but that's the uh, civil uh, intelligence detectives or something like that that, that uh, take on uh, in the military they investigate crimes and uh, murders and everything else
0: right? Same thing as our criminal investigation divisions in a police agency. And I've been on uh, nine in my 40, 47 years of civilian police work. I've been on nine agencies. I've been federal, I've been county, and I've been municipal. I've been about 37 or 38 years in police work and 34, 35 years in sheriff's work. And for 17 years now, I've been a law enforcement chaplain working with law enforcement and military families because those are the two groups of the Brotherhood of Arms and I'll throw EMTs in there, environment a little bit. They work with the issues that uh, America doesn't want to work with and really has no taste for. And they have to handle not only their problems, but America's problems as well. And when they do that, they try to compartmentalize and hold everything inside. And that's why the divorce rates are so bad and substance abuse and other things and our suicide rates and things like that. You got you can't do that. You've got to share and you've got to take each other's problems on. And that's what uh, I started doing. And I finally re- retired my arrest powers about uh, three years ago. And I'm working as a uh, chaplain for three law enforcement agencies and uh, five veterans organizations and two hospitals as a volunteer. And then doing a home church for uh, law enforcement or, or uh, my church. I, I don't have a specific denomination or uh, church that I attend. I have attended a number in the past, but I decided to go out and start doing this, where people don't have a chance to go to church, and we just hold a home church.
1: Right, and uh, you you have, and and you're only twenty two. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I feel I'm 22 in my head, but my body is telling me I'm really 75.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I know that feeling. It's sort of like the dog chasing a car. What What are we going to do if we catch it? uh...
0: (laughs) I got so many things I don't know. Which somebody's always thanking me for my anniversary of doing this job or that job, and I go, I don't have too many. I just, I, you know, I can't do it. (laughs) You're already doing it. I go, okay. I guess I am. My wife likes to say, you're not easy, you're convenient.
1: Ah, well, she should know. She should know. But uh, we want to thank you for your service that you've given to your country uh, over the years. And and no matter what it was, whether it's uh, we have all the respect in the world for our first response. I was an EMT many, many years ago. And um, fortunately, didn't, uh, didn't get into any of the problems that uh some do but uh, i did learn a lot about life and uh and reading people's eyes i think that probably was and i was a very young man at the time but uh, being able to look and you could read what they were saying just get me to the hospital just get me someplace just get me the care i need just do what you have to do or whatever it was and uh it uh it was quite an experience and I'll I'll never I've never regret as a second of it other than I didn't stay with it and uh, I uh, many many ways I wish I had and uh, and many ways I wish I'd stayed in the military as well it's uh and I always like to end the show by telling folks that if if you have a son or grandson that's graduating from high school or from college that's not real sure about what they want to do there is no better opportunity than today in our military Uh, they offer the broadest line of businesses jobs careers anything you want to go into the military has it in some shape form or fashion uh, I'm very fortunate, as Ray said, his kids uh, went in the military. My youngest son, who I'm very, very proud of, uh, is in the Air Force in uh, Ronstadt, Germany, and uh, he loves it. And he's—I'm sure—I have no doubt—as an officer, he's going to career it. And uh, power to him. Uh, He's—he'll be back stateside. Uh, for a couple of years, or three years, uh, within the next few months. If they ever if they ever lift the band on traveling, he'll be back, he and his wife, and uh, their dog, Beauregard, who is uh, a military dog, as a matter of fact, but uh, cute as you can get. And uh, I'm very, very proud of my youngest son that uh, went military, and uh, he's a graduate of Texas A&M, went through the Corps, and then went into the service, and uh, he's done a heck of a job in the military, and it's, uh, it can be a great career, but it's like anything else, and I think you'd agree with this, Ray, it's whatever you put into it is what you get out of it, and it doesn't matter what it is.
0: Absolutely, and uh, because I've worked with the Toys for Tots campaign, which is a Marine Corps reserve program, Mm -hmm. in one form or another for Last year was my 49th year. I've even served as a coordinator and been honored uh, been as a regional coordinator of the year a couple of times. But I work very closely with the recruiters. And having been in three different branches of the military, I'm, I'm very parochial. My Marines are, always are. We love our uniform, and we love our corps, and we love all of that. But I've always been wise enough that I know that certain jobs and certain skills... If that's what you want to do, maybe you don't belong in the Marine Corps, maybe you belong in the Navy because they do it better, or maybe you belong in the Army because they do it better, or the Air Force. And I can look at that, and I talk to a lot of, I get calls from recruiters to say, you want to come in and talk to a recruit? He's got questions about this or that, and you've had so many different MLSs. And I always try to explain to them, just like I've had a couple of our neighbors that have over and sat down and wanted to go to service academies. And I've served on a couple of Congressmen's uh, service academy boards a number of times. Don't do it for your parents. Do it for yourself. And don't do what somebody else tells you you should be doing. Do it because you want to do that. And you'll get a great education. I didn't start college until I was 27 years old. And I didn't finish college, my last degree, my PhD, until I was 55 years old. because. You're not, matter of fact, I think I was more like 58 years old. And uh, it's because if you want to keep learning in life and you want to keep alive, you've got to keep learning. You've got to look for something new each day. And you've got to enjoy your job, and it'll never be work. So those are some of the things that I always try to work with the kids on and guide them in the right area when it comes to that kind of uh, decision making process. And I think you're right. But the earlier you go in, right out of high school, when you really don't know for sure what you want to do, you think you know, you go in and you get some experience in that same line, it can only benefit you later. In order to get my bachelor's degree, I spent less than two years in college. All of my military training compensated for the other two years. When I got my master's degree, I had to spend less than six months on on that program because I still had leftover credit from all of my service schools.
1: You know, I, I guess one other thing that I would add and I'm you and I are about the same age um, and, I, and we don't have a big audience of young people listening I know that. We have uh, the older people our age and uh, some are younger but anyway the one other thing I would like to throw out as an entrepreneur and uh, I've had I started the radio station and had been in an owned another business and still own it, and uh, still work it, as a matter of fact. But the one other thing is don't be scared to change. If, if, there, if you have a calling to do something else, do it. Because if you don't, you'll be like I am. You'll regret, regret it down your life somewhere, and um, you don't want you that.
0: Know, I like to say it's this way. God gave you a great big windshield to go forward in life, and you only need two small rearview mirrors to glance back and see where you've been.
1: That's right. That's very well said. Very well said. And that's very true. And uh, today uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what washes out after the pandemic is over. And it will be over. It's just a matter of not if but when. And... uh, it's going to change a lot of families, a lot of lives, a lot of decisions, and uh, but it will. And uh, it's it, in my opinion, it's been a great privilege to watch our military come through and do what the president asked and what was needed. And uh, you know, like like you and I were talking last night, and I always mention the fact that the military, in my opinion, is the largest fraternity and or sorority in the world and that you know you get two people in a room and very quickly you'll find out if the person you're talking to is a veteran or happens to be on active duty but i don't get at my age i don't get many active duty folks but i get a lot of uh, a lot of veterans and they're the most wonderful people that you'll ever hope to talk to just like ray and uh, I've enjoyed the, the hour that we've spent, not quite an hour yet, but is there anything else, Ray, that you want to cover right quick that we need to uh, really address?
0: I would just like to say that I think our small group, our, our military and paramilitary folks, and that includes our medical folks that are out there, when you go into that, you got to go in with your eyes open and you have to really understand, and those of us that do understand in those professions are not going to be complaining about hardships because we expect them. That's what we go forward for, to do things others can't. And I remember on uh, December 7, 1941 when I wasn't even born, but I remember that day and what it stood for and how America reacted. There are people today that don't even remember that Pearl Harbor occurred Mm -hmm. on that date. They don't remember what it was like. And on uh, 9-11, my wife was at a conference in Reno and we had flown out there and When it happened, she woke me up to tell me we were at war, and I didn't believe her, and I looked on TV and saw what was happening, because she was the one with the conference. I got to go on my first vacation, and I don't know how long. I had just been ordained as a chaplain, and I spent my next three days in there trying to figure out how to get home to Georgia from Reno, and I was being a chaplain because there were so many people that couldn't get home, and they had people from New York and everywhere. I was doing a job right there for somebody else at that time. And yet we have people today that would talk to you on the way home. We've had to drive a, a wrecked rental car all the way back to Atlanta. And everywhere I stopped, people wanted to talk. All across the country, America pulled together. No other things were on their mind. And yet today, before we had this little pandemic or panic as I say, people were back to be in their normal way. Don't let the things in life that put us together pull us apart because we get lackadaisical after it's over i want you to remember these kind of things because when you don't remember your history and you're not concerned about it you will repeat it over and over again
1: adding one thing to that is uh our public education has done a miserable job with history and uh you know, I, again, I've told this story many times uh, World War II. Uh, Japan had just finished bombing Pearl Harbor, and my dad, who was extremely smart, owned his own business, owned a lumberyard in Brownville, Texas, Terry County Lumberyard, as a matter of fact. And uh, within days, he sold it, joined the Navy, was an officer from the get go. And, um, uh, they, and he was in naval intelligence and, um, uh, you know, he, he sacrificed a lot and he, my older sister had just been born and, uh, she and my mother went with my dad as they transferred him from one place to another. First was Harvard, uh, where he did Intel and then out to Arizona where he did Intel and, uh, it was amazing. He had a heck of a career in, in a few years and the things that he did. And there are not many people that I've I always respected my father for, you know, he had it made and yet he was a, one of the first. It was just like some of the folks uh, during 9 11 that sacrificed, sold their businesses, did whatever. And uh, it was deplorable to me. The one thing that uh, if I've ever been disappointed in our country was uh, I was coming back from AIT, and you couldn't wear your uniform through the airports. And uh, I thought, what a disgrace. You know, I'm proud that I've served. I'm proud that I've gone through BASIC and AIT. And why should these idiots that won't serve dictate when I can wear my uniform? And uh, you were there, you, you went through it, and uh, it, it was it was a shame. But at least today, the Vietnam veterans have taken it on themselves that that doesn't happen to people that came back from uh, Desert Shield or Desert Storm or any place today. It doesn't happen. Uh, no. And the veterans will see that it doesn't happen.
0: We have a heritage and we carry it on. My wife had a, her father in the CBI theater with uh, Stillwell. She had an uncle on Bataan, she had another uncle that was a coxswain in Normandy. My dad was in the Gilbertson-Solomons in the back seat of the an SBD and uh, we just believe and my my even my kids have gone on beyond it. My son-in-law is going back on active duty right now as a Navy Reserve doctor. He was an Army doctor on active duty and he's going on to a two-year assignment now uh, just leaving from uh, Texas last week.
1: That's fantastic. With that being said, though, we have to put the plug in the jug and get out of here, get ready for uh, health care insight with Ron Bachman coming up shortly. And uh, once again, Ray Fairman, uh, oh, will you come back and be on again?
0: I'm sure we can arrange it sometime.
1: All righty, you got it. And uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for being on the air with me today. And uh, this show will be up and ready for downloading uh, before Monday at this point. So uh, you can go to our website or you can go to iTunes or to uh, YouTube and get the uh, audio version of it. And uh, we look forward to uh, Ray's blessing and also look forward to... uh, Next week, and we'll have more on David's Pick. Stay tuned now for uh, more programming on America's Web Radio, your 24-hour, 24-7 radio station. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. You're listening
0: to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.